As you settle into your seat this morning, we're excited to be able to worship together today. We are grateful and honored that you would choose to be here of all the places that you could be. We once again say hello to everybody worship with, worshiping with us online, whether you're traveling or whether uh, you've got this sickness that seems to be going around crazy right now. But man, we're, we're really glad you're here. I told you Christmas was coming. Yeah, you can celebrate. Uh, it's cool to walk in, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe this isn't your thing. If it is, I'm praying for your soul. Um, now, I understand that a lot of, like, a lot of people are, are, are not into this season for several different reasons or whatever, but I got to be honest, I love everything about Christmas. Everything. I mean, that's just me. Every single piece of it I enjoy. I love all the decorations. I love the music. I love, I love the movies. I love the food. Glory to God, somebody. Like all the snacks and the meals and all the things, like I love every bit of it. And I'm one that believes, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I want us to be reminded of what this season's about, but I love, I love all the things about Christmas. But I also understand that in celebrating all the things, the main things can so frequently get swallowed up, right? And I also understand that this season is, is a mixed bag of emotions and experiences for a lot of people in the room or maybe watching online. Some of you, this season is maybe the most difficult season of the year because it's a reminder of, of pain and loss. And, and every time we move into this season, I, I, I think, I, we, can we just collectively pray and grieve with the people that are celebrating without someone significant, maybe for the first time, and, and the heartache that that brings. And I also know that this is a season, too, where those of us who already all live incredibly busy lives everything just seems to ramp up. Like in the next four weeks, you feel the obligation to go to every party, to be at every gathering. You go to grandma's house, your uncle's house, her in-laws, and, and we all had to go to our in-laws' house. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'll post the 815 gathering. I didn't say that. I understand it's busy, and, and when it get, the busier it gets, the greater burden we feel. And it just feels like it's so rushed and it's so hurried. And so that's why, and, and I grew up as a pastor's kid, and there was a lot of fun about that, but that also meant I was, I was involved in everything related to Christmas. I've been a part of cantatas, and no, I didn't sneeze or speak in tongues just then. Because I know some of y'all didn't grow up in church, and you have no idea what a cantata is. But it's, it's pretty much a choir concert kind of thing, and I've participated in those. I've been, I've been an animal, and I've been Joseph in all the plays, sometimes in the same one. Like, what? Wasn't he Joseph a minute ago? He threw off his donkey ears and put on... Anyway, I've done it all. And so I remember Christmas in our house during Christmas season was always like super busy. And so the time you got to Christmas, it was like, oh, it's over. And we try to make that not be the case around here. We very intentionally want what you experience at our church over the next several weeks to feel like it's a bit of a, an escape from all that madness. And every year at Christmas, our sole goal is to allow you to week in and week out just to sit in the significance of this season. To, if you don't get it anywhere else, you should be able to get it here. The really clear, powerful reminders 
of what we're really celebrating, what this season is really about. So yeah, enjoy all the things. But our hope is when you sit with us for the next few Sundays, you're reminded of the main thing. And we hope that these times are refreshing, that you come to Vintage and it's, all right, now let's go take on the craziness of the week. And even in doing that, like as we move towards Christmas, you've heard us announce that Christmas is on a Sunday this year, and we believe that, that the Bible doesn't mandate that we worship on a specific day, so we don't feel like it's, it's like gonna, God's going to be mad at us if we take our Sunday gatherings and move them to Friday night so that families can do their things and you can travel. And so we're going to have on that Friday, the 23rd, two amazing, awesome evening candlelight gatherings, one at five and one at seven that Friday evening. And it's just going to be a powerful time to worship. And then on New Year's Day, we just take that week of Christmas just to rest and recharge before we come back on January the 8th on New Year's Day. There'll be a, another Sabbath with film project that our team has recorded where you're going to hear a testimony that's just going to inspire you as you walk into a new year. But as we close this year and we walk through this Advent season, I want us to be reminded very clearly of all that it means. That the arrival of Jesus marks the onset of the most significant period in all of human history. The life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus are the most important things that has ever happened in all of humanity. And I want us just to sit in that reality that when Jesus arrived on this planet, yes, it split history, but it also has deep meaning or it can have deep meaning for every one of us. And over the next few weeks, we're just going to talk about that upon his arrival, what happened? That with the arrival of Jesus on planet Earth in Bethlehem, this man who would spend 30 years hidden away before at age 30, he would step on the scene and spend three years in public ministry, teaching and healing and performing miracles before finally submitting himself to the most brutal death that any human could ever experience, dying on a cross, three days later defeating that death so that we could all have life. And today I want to remind you that upon his arrival, God broke his silence. See, we have this period from Malachi to Matthew, known as the intertestamental period, where God for over four centuries had been silent. That when God speaks to Malachi and Malachi writes that prophecy down, these would be the last words that God would put on paper, inspire people to put on paper for four centuries. Look at Malachi chapter four. Start with verse four. And I want you to hear these words and I want you to remember them when we step into how Luke tells the Christmas narrative. Malachi chapter four, beginning with verse four. God told Malachi to write this down. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with the curse. And not long after that, God goes silent. Silence makes us all uncomfortable. 
I even notice when I pause for too long in a sermon, y'all start getting a little squirrely. For 400 years, God doesn't say another thing. It's a long time. And the people began to wonder if everything they had been told was a lie. Up until that point, God had done and said so much. Powerfully, he had spoken through prophets, pointing to something that was to come that was going to change everything. And, and silence makes us do weird things. And in that time, people started to kind of hijack what God had said and add to it and twist it. And you had these groups like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, all these groups of people that made life really hard for Jesus when he would step on the scene. Because, see, when, when God goes silent, sometimes man gets really loud. And that's exactly what happens in this period until there's a moment when an angel shows up beside a man named Zechariah and God breaks his silence. Go with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. See, I remind you that the first time God broke his silence was not when Gabriel visited Mary. Some of us believe that the case, but the, the first angel to appear to announce a baby was the announcement of John the Baptist to the priest Zechariah. Look at it with me. And let, I mean, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. We in church, y'all should be okay with that. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah, of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear because he had never stood beside an angel before. But the angel said to him, now listen, Paul, I want you to hear what the angel says, and I want you to remember what was said to Zechariah. Y'all with me? Say amen. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you're supposed to name him John. There will be joy. He will be a joy and delight for you. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Now listen. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. 
And with that, God broke his silence because everything that the Old Testament pointed to was on the way. Everything that was prepared all throughout the Old Testament was coming. And do you notice the words of Elijah connected to the words of the angel talking to Zechariah saying, it's beginning to happen. The prophecy is being fulfilled. The Messiah is on the way. Pay attention. Take notice. Don't miss it. Because I know there's a lot of noise. And I know there's a lot of people that have risen up to try to make you think you that, that all the stuff that you used to believe isn't real and it's never going to come to pass. But it's coming. And I want you to see it. And I want you to celebrate it. And I want you to be ready for it. Then another angel would come to this teenage girl that we know as Mary. Drop down to verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and This is the sixth month for her who was called childless. Don't you love verse 37? For nothing will be impossible with God. Right there is where I expected an amen, but that's okay. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And the angel left her that upon his arrival, God broke his silence 400 years of what seemed like nothing. But I'm always reminded, and this is a beautiful fact about our God. Look at me and listen. There there are moments that God seems silent, but God is never inactive. Because I don't know if you've ever really even studied this period to even really understand it, because most people would never do that. You might even ask, why 400 years? God, why would you take so long? Keep in mind, 400 years to God's like half a second, maybe. Even that, because his concept of time and our concept of time are so different. Amen? The Bible says a day like a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. But in that 400-year span, you can see in hindsight all the things that God was orchestrating to prepare for his gospel to be able to spread throughout the world. It was during that time that Alexander the Great rose up in the world and put Greek as a more common language all across the globe. Not everybody spoke it, but for the first time in history, there were, that language was present in more places than any one language had ever been. 
Rome had risen to power and created infrastructure that made roads and travel from one place to another much easier so that when his gospel came, it would have the pathways and vehicles to go to everybody who would listen. God was setting it all up, church. He was preparing the way so that when the Messiah finally came, all the things were in place for us to know. I just think that's cool. Maybe it's because I'm a history nerd. That God was orchestrating all the avenues and pathways necessary to get the message of Jesus to every nation and every people group because he desired everyone to be saved. Upon his arrival, God broke his silence. But upon his arrival, God kept his promise. All of the Bible is God fulfilling his promise to redeem the world. If you had to ask me, what is the Bible about? I would answer it in one word, redemption. Redemption. What is the best word to describe the story that unfolds across these pages from Genesis to Revelation? It's it's a redemption story. Because Jesus has seen the moment sin enters the world and God makes a promise. Do you remember, can I take you back to the garden where God put Adam and Eve in a world unlike one we know? One without disease, one without sickness, one where humanity got to live for a moment in full intimacy with God because there was no sin to separate us. And we were just running around in complete connection with him. But he said, there's, there's one thing that I want you to do in order to choose me. There's, there's one tree and of it you should not eat. And if you do, you will surely die. And the enemy came in and said, you can eat it. It's good. You ain't going to die. God was just playing. And Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and in that moment, everything breaks. But God saw it coming, and he had a plan. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, and that's how soon you see Jesus in all the scriptures. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Right there, that's Jesus. That's who God is referring to as he talks about what will happen now on the other side of sin. He said, there will be one that comes from the womb of a woman and you you will strike his heel. It will look like you've dealt a blow because he will have to go to a cross and he will be dead for three days, but he will come back and have victory over the grave. So you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. He will defeat you. Victory will belong to him and all of those who see him for who he is. Come on, church. And all throughout the Old Testament from That point until the moment that Jesus arrives on the scene, it's pointing towards the Messiah. I don't have time, but I'd love to walk you through every single book of the Old Testament and show you where Jesus is, because look at me, he's in every place. He's in Genesis, he's in Exodus, he's in Deuteronomy, he's in Leviticus, he's, he's in it all. And God would litter the Old Testament with signs, prophecies so that when Jesus did come, people would be paying attention and not miss it and say, wait, wait, didn't God say it would happen like that? 
And y'all, the number of prophecies that Jesus fulfills in his birth alone statistically really is impossible unless it's from God. Unless it's from God. It's the kind of math that especially I could never be able to even comprehend. I mean, even the virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, which is God with us. All throughout the Old Testament, God is pointing to the reality of a son that's going to come, a Messiah that will save us all, one that will come and deliver us from our sin, that God says, I'm not going to leave you in this state. I'm not going to leave you broken and severed from me. I'm not going to leave you lost. I'm going to come and rescue you. And with the arrival of Jesus, that rescue plan continues. That redemption story is being written. But there's one thing that is prevalent all throughout the Old Testament about what would be necessary and required for all this to happen. Of all the things that they said about the Messiah, there was one day he made abundantly clear he would have to shed his blood. Because what's written all throughout the scriptures is atonement. What was necessary for our sins to be forgiven was blood would have to be shed. It's a pattern that begins in Leviticus, and it's God trying to demonstrate the necessity of the shedding of blood for our forgiveness. Look at Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Maybe the first time people have ever read Leviticus in your life. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed, appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. See, all throughout the Bible, there's this reality that blood would have to be shed, that that sacrifice was necessary for us to be forgiven. There, were gonna, there was blood that was going to have to be shed. Jump into the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9. Pick up with verse 19. For, we have, for when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and goats along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself. And all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, we were reminded that blood had to be shed, that he, this baby that was going to be born, was not just going to be a baby in a manger and someday a king on a throne, that in between, he would have to be a lamb on an altar, sacrificed, broken, and his blood must be shed so that we could be forgiven. And I know that we love this Christmas season and we get so caught up with just this portion of his story. But I think that if we're going to really sit in the significance of Christmas, we have to keep the whole thing in view. We have to keep the whole thing in view. That we can't just focus on the baby in the manger. That if we're going to celebrate Christmas and we're going to be reminded of all that his arrival means for those of us who understand it, that we have to look at the whole story. And from the beginning, God made it known all that would be necessary from Jesus and for Jesus so that you and I could be redeemed. 
long before Jesus cried in Mary's arms. Away in a manger, no crying he made. That's the dumbest song we've ever seen. You ever seen a baby? Jesus cried in that manger. I hate to bust somebody's bubble in the room. But long before that all happened, centuries before it would unfold, in one chapter of the Bible, Isaiah 53, God gives us Jesus' testimony. Have you ever read it? You're about to. Look at Isaiah 53. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Keep in mind. Go ahead. Oh, get, get it on your phone. Open it in your Bible. You need to mark this one. You need to highlight it. Because this is centuries before we a single Christmas was celebrated, centuries before we ever had Easter pageants, well before all these things ever unfolded. God pointed. God showed us who this Jesus would be and all that he would do and what would be required that we might have life. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace. Punishment for our peace was on him, and We are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment and who considered his fate. For he was cut off from the land of the living and he was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil because he willingly submitted to death and I was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. This wasn't written by a disciple after witnessing all these things. 
This was written by the prophet Isaiah as a vision from God hundreds of years before it happened. And I think that if we're truly going to understand the significance of this season, as we celebrate, we have to remember he suffered. Yeah, I want you to celebrate, but don't forget he suffered so that you could celebrate so that you could have joy, so that you could have hope, so that you could have forgiveness, so that you could have life. That this was necessary. Yes, now he's a king on a throne. And yes, at one time he was a baby in a manger, but he was a lamb on an altar so that what was necessary could be done and we could have life. See, upon his arrival, God broke his silence. Upon his arrival, God kept his promise. But upon his arrival, God revealed his love. 1 John chapter 4. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Why? To be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we start this season today with communion to serve as a reminder of why we celebrate. With the entire gospel in view, we walk through this season. We all have our traditions. And they're probably as varied as there is families in this room. But the one thing that I would imagine nearly all of us do, maybe not all, but most, is we put up a tree. There's not a more common symbol in the, of the Christmas season than a lit evergreen tree. A few years ago, I was reminded of the significance of trees throughout the gospel story. Adam and Eve ate from a tree and brought sin. Jesus died on a tree and brought life. In this season, this is my hope, that every time you see a tree covered in lights, you're reminded of the one that was covered in blood. That when you see a tree sparkling with lights, you remember the one that was sprinkled by the blood of Jesus so that we could have life. And I think a no better way to usher in that mindset than to take communion together. So would you stand with me if you would and just stay where you are for a moment. Our host team is gonna position themselves across every section. And in just a minute, they're gonna walk through your aisles and kind of give you instructions of how and where to go in order to grab the body of Jesus represented by the bread and the blood of Jesus represented by the juice. When you get the elements and get back to your seat, look at me, I wanna ask you to do something, don't rush. Please don't do this as mindlessly as we can so frequently do, where we just pop it and just we're done. Go back to your seat, take some time, reflect, think, pray, at some point, the team's gonna lead us in a beautiful song. And if you wanna wait all the way to the end of that song, that's fine, just soak it up. And also just wanna remind you that 
Scripture makes it very clear that if we don't believe in what this represents, we shouldn't eat. So if you're here today and maybe you don't believe in Jesus yet and you're exploring, we're glad that you're here. But we ask that you don't take care part of this meal because it says if we do that, we make a mockery of it. And we just want to be true to Scripture. So in just a second, I'm going to pray and the host team will begin to give you some instructions. And again, savor the moment. Soak it in. Father God, I thank you for the blood that was shed for me. That you sent Jesus to die for me. And God, this season, as we walk through Christmas and we celebrate, we have so much fun and so much joy and we get caught up in all the things. Help us to not lose sight of the main thing. That as we look at a tree covered in lights, may we never forget the one that was covered in blood. Thank you for this meal, God, that we're about to take, the one you said that we should take in order to remember what you've done for us. And God, I pray that every person who eats and drinks today does so with the right heart and spirit, and may it remind them of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, come and eat.